0: Well, good morning, Cornerstone Church. We're glad you're here. Let's spend some moments uh, as we begin Holy Week in some intimate worship before our Lord.
1: Turn choose the same but blessed be your name. Sing it. Blessed be the name of
0: Redmond wrote, I don't know, 15, maybe close to 20 years ago, blessed be your name, but let me tell you how old some of these lyrics are, how some of these words are. I was reading in Job this week, and Job was the one who said, you give and take away, and my heart will choose to say, blessed be the name. And uh, boy, old words to a truth that we realize every day. You know, I was thinking... Um, last couple of weeks as I was preparing to to lead uh, today, and it was uh, heavy on my heart. Um, This one aspect that I hadn't noticed before, hadn't paid attention to before, you know, looking at Holy Week and Palm Sunday and how the people just lined the streets to watch Jesus come in on a colt that had never been ridden before and they were praising him and giving him glory and shouts of praise and just unending gratefulness for what he had done in their lives. You remember that many of those people he healed and he, um, uh, some were lame and then they walked and some were lepers and then they were healed and a couple of them he raised from the dead and he spoke profound truths. He fed the 5,000, then he fed the 4,000, and he just did some amazing miracles that touched them where they were in that moment, all the while talking about eternal life. And I don't get the sense that they ever understood what that eternal life meant. Um, why would they? We had no concept of what eternity was. We live in the moment. That's We do that now. We live in the moment. Um... But I want to sing a song that focuses on the cross, which doesn't happen for five more days. But I want you to understand that as Christ is riding that colt down the street, and the people are giving him shouts of praise and glory. They had no idea what was going to happen five days later, but he did. And it's an amazing concept just to realize that not only was he riding down those roads and he could see every individual face and know their name and know what he did for them and know where they were with him in in their heart, but they had no concept of what was going to happen. So as as I sing this, I'd love for you, uh, the lyrics will be on the screen if you want to sing, but I'd love for you to um, ponder the message of Christ's ultimate sacrifice in light of the fact that this is the triumphal entry. They had no idea what triumph he yet had to overcome. And think about the fact that um, these folks, one group, praising him for what he's done, transplanted by another group later in the week, screaming to crucify him. And how that must have unfolded I know I watch, uh, when we watch movies and we have never seen them before, we get to this intense part in the movie and we kind of, you know, cower or react however we react. My wife buries her head in my shoulder and squeezes my arm. And then sometimes I have to let her know when she can come up. (laughs) But when we watch the movie a second time, the surprise is gone. And um, the surprise is gone for us in what Christ experienced but man if you let that surprise just go on by and you not, you don't reconcile with the, the gravity of that situation I think you miss the moment of the impact of what he did what he was looking at that Sunday as he rode in and five days later still committed to following through to giving his life for us there's a place
1: Where mercy reigns and never dies There's a place Where streams of grace Flow deep and wide Where all the love I've ever found like a flood comes flowing through night.
0: to look forward to, and we're so eternally grateful, Lord. All God's people said, amen. God bless you. Maybe see you. May be
2: Good morning. Easter week. No, no, no. I don't know why I keep saying the word Easter. Daryl referred to it as Holy Week earlier, which isn't a phrase I've never used much, but, um, this is celebrate the resurrection, and, um, And I know I'm being another bah humbug about that word Easter, but that's okay. So a couple quick announcements about this. We have, today is obviously Palm Sunday. Friday is Good Friday at 6.30. We will have a a service here. It will be um, a communion service. And and we are going back to the the bread and the cup as opposed to the, the cellophane things. And we'll have people up here handing them out, you know, appropriately um, with safeguards. So please come join us. We're planning a, a very worshipful time. Minimal teaching, more worship and contemplation on what happened on that day over 2,000 years ago. Then Sunday morning, obviously, 930 and 11 is our Easter services. We will have... In fact, this is shareable. I believe you can go on Facebook and share this with your friends, invite them. This year, we're not printing out flyers to hand out because of COVID. People don't want things handed to them necessarily. But we need to, to invite our neighbors and our community to come visit. And we have a message on Easter about the resurrection. That is the heart of our faith. So, so anyways, with that, also Easter, we have a tradition. I think this is the third year we're going to do it. Third year that I know of where we take family pictures. So Natalie Sachi will be here with her camera. Come all dressed up in your Easter vests. It's first come, first serve, before and after each service. Well, Natalie will be taking pictures outside most likely. So if you want a family picture, come and, and you'll get one. And it's, it's no cost to you. So does that make sense? <clears throat> Excuse me. So with that, let's ask God to guide us. Today we're going to walk through, today, starting with this service, on Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and then Sunday morning, Resurrection Day. I'm just going to do three messages of going through the narrative of Jesus' last week of his life. So, Father, guide us this morning in your word. Teach us uh, the familiar story, but open our eyes to something new. Or refresh our eyes to things we already know um, and need to be reminded of the incredible truths that your son lived out the last week of his life. So thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Daryl, you gave me a great imagery tonight, you, tonight, this morning, when you said a movie you've seen the second time. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of weird. There's certain movies I'll watch over and over and over and over again. I don't mind at all. It doesn't bother me in the least. I know, I know what's coming on every turn. I know the ending. But whatever reason, certain movies just grab me. But you're right, the first time you watch something, you can't replace the first time. And we know this story from the time Jesus sat on that donkey to the day he was raised from the dead. We know the story. But I want to walk us through it again and tell the story and and bring out a few nuances maybe and thoughts of my own, but primarily to remind us of that. And, And maybe, like Janet grabbing your arm, we can um, be excited again about something we know so well. So I've titled this The Road to the Cross. We're going to start with that triumphal entry on that Sunday when Jesus tells his disciples, go into town and get a donkey, a donkey that no one's ever rode before, never rode before, and bring it to me. And here's what Zechariah says as Matthew quotes this. Zechariah says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Zion is Israel, by the way, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So here's the king coming in. If a king was coming in in victory of war, he would ride a steed. He would ride ride a, a horse that represented his authority and power and victory. But Jesus rides a donkey a baby donkey, to project peace. The prince of peace, the king who brings peace, is coming in. And you guys know the story. People are jubilant. The whole city, it says, the whole city is stirred up. People are putting the palm branches down. That's why children come with palm branches on Palm Sunday. And people are laying their clothes down on the ground for the horse, the the mule to walk over, just to pave the way for the king. They are jubilant. Listen to Matthew 21, 9 to 11. i I'm using Matthew primarily as my text. I'll go, I'll go to John and Luke also. It says, and the crowds went before him, and that followed, the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The imagery here, Hosanna to the son of David. They've identified him properly. David lived a thousand years before this. But there was a prediction in 2 Samuel 7 that David, God said to David, David, one of your children is going to sit on the throne forever. And they've properly identified the Messiah. The son of David has come to reign in his father's throne. Hosanna to the Son. We say Hosanna a lot. Hosanna is like one of those words, hallelujah. We say it a lot. Do you know what it means? Do you know what hallelujah means? I've told you this before. Tell me you remember. It means praise God. It's two words. Hallel, praise, and Yah, short for Yahweh. Praise God. Hosanna is a little different. It means save us, O oh Lord. It's a very shortened phrase. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like our phrase, goodbye. It actually comes from God be with you. Did you know that? When we say goodbye to each other, it's a shortened phrase of an old English, God be with you. Hosanna is a shortened phrase of, save us, O Lord. So it was, it was a kind of a phrase the Israelites would use in distress. They'd call out, Hosanna, save us, O Lord. And it became just kind of a frozen phrase of worship. So they're crying out here, Hosanna to the Son of David. Son of David, save us. It's time. Our Messiah has come. There's excitement. They are stirred up. Except for the religious leaders they're not happy at all they're not happy at all jesus as he approaches the city he stops and it says he looks at the city and he weeps over the city he weeps over the city cuz he knows what's going to happen in the next 5 days they're going to reject him he enters the temple And he drives out all the money changers. So just get get the scene in your head. This is Passover week. This is Passover week. Thousands and thousands of Israelites, Jewish people, are coming from all over the Mediterranean world. Because Passover is one of three holidays every Jewish male had to come to Jerusalem to make an offering. Well, when you have to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to come as the law required you to, to Jerusalem, to make an offering, you can't necessarily bring with you that lamb or that bull to sacrifice. So when you get there, you take your money that you have from your community, which is not the money they used in Israel, and you do it to a money changer. And the money changer would take it and and change it from the the foreign dollar into the local dollar, and they'd rip you off. Then you took the local money and you went over to the animal, people selling animals, and you would buy your sacrifice. And guess what they'd probably do? They'd rip you off. And Jesus, so by the way, the, the practice of changing money and selling sacrifices is not evil. It's the attitude of the people doing it that ticks Jesus off. And he comes in and he takes that whip. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus comes in and he braids the whip. So this isn't Jesus losing his temper and flying off the handle. This is Jesus deliberately sitting down, braiding a whip, and saying, I'm putting an end to this right now. He said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. He overturns the money changers. Coins go everywhere. He opens the cages, lets birds out. He chases the other animals away. and, And the people freak, and they all run from him. Then it's interesting. It says that immediately then, immediately, he began to heal the lame and the sick. So if the temple was a house of prayer, if the temple was a place to come and meet God, Jesus then ministers to the least of these who are there to meet God. Now listen, I mentioned before that the religious leaders were not happy. Listen to Matthew 21, 15. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw, and this, this is what it said, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta let that sink in they see the wonderful things he's doing, healing people. They know it. They have no explanation for it. And they hear the children in jubilance, blessed is, this is the son of David. Our Messiah has come. And instead of joining in the excitement, they are indignant. Luke tells us, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples for saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus will have his glory, whether from his disciples, for children, or if everyone is silent, from the rocks themselves. Now, Darrell had mentioned a minute ago that... This crowd that is excited for Jesus is replaced by a crowd that is not so excited about Jesus. And I want you to think from this transition. And the scriptures tell us that the whole city is excited. Then we're going to see all the people yelled crucify him. So from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him. I don't believe it's the exact same group as as Daryl had said. It's a different group. I do believe there's some overlap. I do believe some of those who said blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord switched and said crucify him. But you have a dominant voice on this day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And by the end of the week, the dominant voice is kill, kill him. He deserves to die. And I think that's a lesson for us, the big picture of this week. What's the dominant voice in our heads and what's the dominant voice out of our mouth to the people around us? This week, is it a jubilance? In a world that is very discouraged, even depressed, even pessimistic, into a world that is is cancel culture a world that you say anything a little bit wrong, you're going down? Or is the voice in our head, and I mean that in the best sense, the Holy Spirit, and the voice outside of our coming out of our mouths is the voice that says, no matter what the world throws at me, I'm going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So as we move now into Jesus' final teachings, I want you to keep that in your mind, is what will end on the fact that the crowd turns on him, or some of them do, and those that were for him are silent. We can never be silent. Jesus' final teachings. In Matthew, for the next five chapters, Matthew goes into teaching. It's almost, if you have a red-letter Bible, look at Matthew from 21-ish to 25-ish. It's almost all red letters. It's all Jesus' teaching. And part of this teaching is telling his disciples, here's what's going to happen. Immediately in my crucifixion and at the end of time when I return, here's what's going to happen. That's Matthew 24 and 25. But there's also in this time, 22 and 23, Jesus is speaking against the religious leaders. He's taking them to task. It's it's almost, and I said this once before, and and, and some of you didn't like this, but I I really believe it. I think Jesus is baiting them. I think Jesus is baiting the religious leaders. I think he's, he's saying to them, he's taunting them. So you're against me, are you? I'm going to give you more reason to be against me. Now, you read it and see if I, I'm misunderstanding that. But Jesus tells a parable in the midst of this, the parable of the landowner. He had a vineyard. This landowner had a vineyard. And he raises his beautiful vineyard up. And so that's a picture of Israel. And then he gives the vineyard to vine growers. He gives it to, to, to take care of the vineyard. So the leadership of Israel. Then it says that this, vine, this, this vineyard owner sends his servants back, these are the prophets, to tell the you know, hey, give some of the share to me. I, I own this place. Glory. And what do they do? In, in the parable, they beat up and they kill the messengers of the king, the messengers of the landowner. In Israel, they're killing the prophets. Finally, the vineyard owner sends his son. surely they'll respect my son. And those that run the vineyard say, oh, here's our chance. He's the heir. We'll kill the heir and the vineyard will be ours. And Jesus is now saying, I'm the son. I have come. And you're going to kill me. And so he's letting them know exactly what they're going to do. And at the end of that, he quotes Psalm 118. And here's what he says to them. Psalm 118. Have you never read in the scriptures, Jesus tells them, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, I'm not a construction guy. I see a few construction people in here. But think of building a stone building. The very first stone you lay becomes the pattern for everything else that goes off of that. It's the most important stone. It's the cornerstone. So he's saying here, using this imagery of building a building, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Israel rejected. It was predicted. Israel reject the Messiah. But that person they rejected becomes the cornerstone of their whole world. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, here it is. Therefore, I tell you, you know, I think he's talking to religious leaders that are ticked off at him for, for chasing the money changers out, ticked off at him for letting all the animals go, ticked off that he wouldn't rebuke the children for saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. stop there for a moment. If we went back one week from this day and asked these religious leaders so what is your purpose? They would say we represent Yahweh. We speak for him. We are his people on earth who represent him. Even we're his mediators of truth. And Jesus is saying no you're not. You rejected the cornerstone you rejected God's son the Messiah and actually I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to someone else who will produce fruit now we'll go into Israel's future in God's plan but there is in this a reference to the future church which is Jew and Gentile come together as the people of God but it says there I will take it away from you and give it to a people producing its fruit. The Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, these guys thought they were producing the right fruit. They weren't. It's been given to us. Are we producing the right fruit? And what is that fruit? Just a little sidebar. I had a conversation with Pastor Jeff of the Presbyterian Church this week because we usually have traditionally done a Good Friday service together. And this year, because of COVID, we're not. We're going to redo that next year. But Jeff is preaching through the Beatitudes. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. If you want to know what it looks like to bear fruit for God, go home today and read through the Beatitudes. Um, Jeff was telling me how convicted he was, and then I've been thinking about it, the depths of those teaching of Jesus, that if we are here to bear fruit for the Messiah, here's what the Messiah wants us to do. Let's so go home and read the Beatitudes again to remind us what our life is supposed to look like. Then Jesus, I know I'm messing this verse up, and Verse 44, and the one who falls on this stone, that's the cornerstone, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So interesting, Jesus is being very cryptic here. You're going to kill me. He's he's going there soon. You're going to kill me. But in the end, if you don't get in line, I'm taking you out. I'm taking you out. He goes on in chapters 22 and 23. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them blind guides. He calls them whitewashed tombs. Where the outside is nice and pretty, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Full of dead man's bones. So this is where he's baiting them. He's pushing their buttons. He tells the Sadducees regarding the resurrection. They try to trick him. And he says, you're wrong. You know neither the scriptures or the power of God. So you go, to, you go to a primary teacher of God's words in a whole religious system and said you haven't got a clue what you're talking about. How's that person going to respond to you? He's going to come against you. Pastors are full of pride, except for me, of course. <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. And you're guilty of the death of all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah, Jesus tells them. So um, Abel to Zechariah. Abel is Genesis chapter 4 where Cain kills Abel. Zechariah is Second Chronicles. He's the last prophet to be killed. See, in our Bible, 2 Chronicles isn't the last book of the Bible. Malachi is. But in the Jewish Bible, 2 Chronicles is the last book of their Bible. So Jesus is saying from the first book of your Bible to the last book of your Bible, all the prophets that came to Israel that God sent, you killed them. And Jesus is saying to them, and you are personally responsible for all of them. Well, he ends that chapter with a lament. Chapter 23, after he spends the whole chapter taking the Pharisees and scribes to task. This is caught, forgive me. He says this. This is the heart of our Savior. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These religious leaders told him, you tell your followers, you tell these children, don't say that. Don't say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus says, until you say it, until you say it, there is no hope for you. Jesus now sets his eyes on the cross. The story goes on. Judas goes to the chief priests and plots to betray Jesus so they can kill him. And they give him 30 pieces of silver. Now, I, I did some research on what is the value of that, 30 pieces of silver? And it's difficult to tell. It's difficult to tell because of, 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 of um, exactly what 30 pieces was. Was it a denarius, which was a day's wage at that time? And, and different people over the years have studied it, and it's anywhere from ninety to three thousand dollars—quite quite a difference. So there's uncertainty just how valuable was thirty pieces of silver. But now, who who would betray the person they called their lord for ninety bucks? What about three thousand? E- either way, it's it's minuscule. Judas' motive had to be greater than simply getting some money in his pocket. It's interesting that he goes right after the lady comes and anoints Jesus' feet with oil, a very expensive lard. And the disciples, specifically Judas says, hey, that's a waste of money. We could have used that for the poor. And one of the gospels says, Judas was the one who kept the money bag. He, he was kind of the banker for the apostles and he was dishonest. So it was after that, that he went and betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. So we don't get to know all of Judas's motive. Money was part of it, but it was probably greater. Then we get to the Last Supper. and At this Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples that one of them would betray him. Listen to Matthew 26, 24. The Son of Man goes as it was written of him. So this, the, the crucifixion is prophesied and determined ahead of time that Jesus would die on the cross. The Son of Man goes just as it's been written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed! It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, "Is it I, Rabbi?" And Jesus says, "You have said so." So this is a uh, this is something we're thinking about. If we go back to our Romans eight as we move to Romans nine after Easter, after Resurrection Day, don't get me off, Tim the sovereignty of God and the choice of man is determined ahead of time Jesus would be betrayed but woe to that man who betrays him but Peter, Peter says I'll never betray you, you say one of us is going to first of all this conversation between Jesus and Judas is probably not fully grasped by the rest of them because they're all saying it's not me, it's not me, it's not me Peter says I'll never betray you, ever and what's Jesus' response to him? Truly this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter's adamant. He's resolved. Even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. How many times have you and I said, God, I'll never do that sin again. Ever. I am done with that. And then a week, two weeks, a month, three months later, what do we say? Oh, God, forgive me. But Peter's resolve is real. I will never deny you. Let's move to the Garden of Gethsemane now. They've left the Lord's Supper and gone out to the Garden. And Jesus comes to his disciples. And listen to what he says. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So he's, he's left, he's left the, there's now 11 now. He's left eight off the edge of the garden, brought Peter, James, and John with him a little further in, and this is what he says to them. Would you three please pray for me because my soul is sorrowful even to death. And then Jesus goes a little bit further away to pray to his father. So he's asking the three, James, John, and Peter, please pray for me. So what does Jesus mean? My soul is very sorrowful even to death. I think that's just a very poetic way of saying, I'm so full of anxiety right now. I, 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 have, I have no clue what's gonna, how I'm going to handle what's coming my, my way. He knows what's going to happen. How am I going to handle it? And, and here's what I hear people say, that anxiety is a sin. That's not true. Anxiety is a human emotion. What you do with it could turn into faithlessness. What does Jesus do in his anxiety? First, he asks for prayer. And then he goes to prayer. So in our anxiety, don't presume because you're anxious about something you've sent. But if it drives you to prayer, it's exactly what it's for. And here's what he says to his father. Remember, he's isolated himself. And, and there's, a, there's a famous picture where Jesus is in the garden and, and this, is, this is Scandinavian Jesus, by the way, where he's blonde hair and there's this famous picture. He's like this, praying at a big rock and um, I, I don't see it that way. Not if he's full of anxiety. I see it, he's on his face. He's on his face crying out to God. And here's what he says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now you know he did that three times. And after the first time and after the second time, he goes back to his disciples. The three, James, Peter, and John. Because he's, he's, you know, I don't know about you, I I, sometimes, I'm an extrovert. I can't just sit still for hours and hours and hours. Sometimes I just have to get up from my office and I go down to Matthew's office and I bug him. I call it extroverting hours. And if you know Matthew, he's an introvert. I know he hears me coming down the stairs, you know, and it's kind of like, oh great, here he comes again. I can just see Jesus here, so full of anxiety, he can't stay still. He'd asked his closest disciples, pray for me. So he's going back. Are you still praying? Are you praying for me? I really need it. And here's what he says to his disciples. He found them sleeping. And it it specifically says in Matthew 26, 40, and he said to Peter, he pointed Peter out here. So could you not watch with me for one hour? So you can hear the disappointment in his voice. And what do you think Peter thought? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. We'll do better. We'll do better. We'll stay awake this time. And Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But he's talking specifically to Peter. I never noticed that before till this week. Peter's the one who said what? I'll die with you. I don't care what comes against me. I will die with you. And Jesus told him, no, you won't. You will deny me today. So you can imagine Peter's resolve is starting to wear down here. He couldn't even stay awake for an hour. Now, Judas's betrayal. Judas approaches Jesus with the soldiers. And he told them, here's the sign. The one that I kiss is the one you are to arrest. Now, there's always arguments, are these soldiers Roman soldiers or the Jewish temple guards? And I don't think we can be truly definitive. This would suggest, though, that they're not the Jewish temple guards, because the Jewish temple guards know who Jesus is. He's been coming in that temple for three years. If Judas has to tell the guards the one I kiss, because if it's the Roman soldiers, they don't necessarily know who Jesus is. So that, that that's one of my um, um I, I'm somewhat somewhat convinced of that. These are Roman soldiers, the one I kiss arrest him and Jesus in Luke says this Judas would you betray the son of man with a kiss Matthew says friend do what you came to do then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him so now to us a kiss is not what a kiss is to them it's always, it's, no, it's not true. It's always an uh, expression of endearment, expression of love, expression of, of, of deep friendship. In fact, the word kiss is related to the word friend. But here's the difference we don't see in English. In Matthew twenty six fifty, when Jesus said, friend, do what you came to do. He uses a different word for friend there. Stay with me for a moment. Listen to what Jesus says in John about the disciples being his friends. He says, John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. The friends there is the word phylos. The word kiss is phylae. So what do you do to a true friend? You kiss him. Judas comes up and kisses Jesus and Jesus says friend. He uses an entirely different word for friend. Our English translations, all of them translated as friend. I looked at all of them. I looked at ten of them, and but we don't know from the Greek. It's a different word. It's a word that you would actually use to address someone whose name you don't even know. Friend. It's maybe 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 this is a little too crass. It's not unlike us saying, "Hey, dude, how you doing?" So so it is a word. When Jesus said, "I don't call you." Servants anymore, I call you my friends. That was Phylos. We're family members. He took that away from Judas and said, dude, what are you doing? Now, Peter had committed, I'll die with you, Jesus. He pulls out his sword and he swings. And he cuts off the ear of the, servant's high, the high priest's servant. Now, I don't know if the the servant of the high priest had a sword. I don't know. Um, Did he go for the easy loaf-picking fruit? He didn't go for the soldiers, obviously. Nonetheless, he's ready. He's ready to die. What does Jesus say? Peter, put it away. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Now, I want to suggest to you this is totally confused Peter. Because as we learn in Luke earlier, listen to what Jesus said earlier in Luke. So this is just this, the previous part of, before the Lord's Supper. This is what Jesus says to him. He says, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So Jesus is telling them, if you don't have a sword, buy one. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And Jesus said, that's enough. So that's what he says at the beginning of the evening. So Peter has his sword. I'll die with you, Jesus. And then, and then Jesus, when he's arrested, Peter pulls the sword out and says, now is the time to die. Swings, takes off the ear of the, the, the servant of the high priest, and Jesus rebukes him. Put it away, Peter. Don't you know, if I wanted to, I could call, ask my father for 12 legions of angels? Do you know how many 12 legions are? A legion is 6,000 troops. So Jesus could call 72,000 angels right now. I don't think he was specifically saying 72 as opposed to 73. What he's saying is I can, I can call the totality of my father's angels and they would deliver me right now. I'm on the path to do what I'm supposed to do, Peter. Put your sword away. I think it was at that moment that Peter's resolve went to zero. And now he doesn't know what to do. So they arrest Jesus he endures a trial with trumped-up charges. He's in the courtyard of the high priest. The Gospel of John tells us that John knew one of the, the leaders of the, of the, the, the high priest's family and gets Peter in. So Peter's in the courtyard. So I don't know how big this is, but let's just imagine it's between here and the sound booth back there. And Peter's over here warming himself with the fire of all the different servants. And Jesus is over there being interviewed on trial before the high priest and some of the religious leaders and maybe some of the guards and they're spitting on him they're slapping his face they're hitting him in the head with rods and Peter's watching all this and Jesus is silent and he's not defending himself and Peter's watching it all and someone says to him hey aren't you one of his followers and what's Peter say no I don't what are you talking about another one I know you're one of them you talk just like him." You see, Galileans had an accent. It's like being from Georgia. You talk just like them. No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. A third one, one of the gospels says it was a servant girl. And and he says he swore, not cussed, invoked God's name. I swear to God, I don't know the man. At that moment, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And you can imagine from his confidence, Jesus, these all might betray you, these all might run from you, but I will die with you tonight. From that confidence to this moment, he betrayed his savior, he denied him. It says he went out and wept bitterly. You ever wept bitterly? ever wept and cried so much you couldn't stop yourself? It just kept flowing and flowing because of whatever it was, deep sadness, deep regret. They take Pilate or Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate says, are you the king? You see, Pilate's primary concern is not Jewish religious problems, it really isn't. Pilate's primary concern is this guy claiming to be a king and can create an insurrection against the Caesar. Because my job is to keep peace. Are you the king? And Jesus gives that weird answer. You have said so. You know, well, I didn't say yes or no. He's kind of said, you know, if you, if you say so, Pilate. John 18, 37. You say that I am the king. Talking to Pilate. For this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And what was Pilate's response? What is truth? You see, is, is, is Pilate a relativist? Maybe. I think his concern here is not what Jesus thinks of himself. His concern is, are we going to have a problem? Very pragmatic response. Pilate doesn't believe Jesus is guilty. He believes the Pharisees are just jealous and delivered him up. He tries to free him. He knows he's innocent. His wife warned him, Have nothing to do with this holy man, because I suffered in a dream because of him. So Pilate decides, You know, I'll have him flogged. I'll have him beaten half to death. And maybe that'll make these religious fanatics happy. Pilate isn't real impressed with Judaism. And the Jewish leaders aren't real impressed with Pilate. There is no love there. But beating Jesus half to death didn't change their attitude, they want him killed. So Pilate has a custom. I'll release to you one captive. He's hoping they'll say release Jesus. The crowd will say it. And this is where the voice changes, Daryl. This is where the voice changes. So do you want me to release to you Barabbas or Jesus? Now Barabbas was a true insurrectionist and a murderer, according to Acts chapter 3, when, when Peter says to them, you released a murderer and crucified the prince of life. So Barabbas is a murderer and an insurrectionist. He's the one that's in rebellion against Caesar, but but, but Pilate offers the real insurrectionist and the Prince of Peace. And what do they say? We want Barabbas. Then what do I do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. Why? What has he done? What has he done? They just kept chanting, crucify him. So Pilate washes his hands and says i'm innocent of this man's blood i don't think he deserves to die because i'm tired of arguing with me you i'll kill him and here's what they say all the people answered this is in matthew 27:25 look on the screen all the people answered this isn't just religious leaders by this time now the crowd that yelled out hosanna has gone silent, some of them have swapped sides, and now the the crowd is saying, his blood be upon us and on our children. Let that sink in for a moment. We acknowledge that we're gonna kill an innocent man, but he needs to die. And Pilate says, I don't want blood on my hands. This isn't my issue. And they said, don't worry. Let his blood be upon us and our children. It's interesting, you get the book of Acts, chapters 3, 4, and 5, and Peter is arguing with the religious leaders. And they said to him, Why? Why do you keep blaming this man's death on us? Right there. Because you said his blood be upon us and on our children. Pilate hands him over to be crucified. He's mocked and beaten by the soldiers. They, They... Weave a crown of thorns, put it on his head. They march him out of the city. He carries his own cross until he's physically unable to. And they grab a man named Simon from Cyrene and they help him. He, he helps him carry it. And finally, he's laid down on the cross beams and nailed to the cross. The son of God, the creator of the world, the author of life, the prince of peace, is put to death. We're gonna stop here and Friday we're gonna pick this up. You see on the cross, Jesus said seven things. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. He tells the thief on the cross, admittedly today, surely you'll be with me in paradise. He looks at his mother and says, looks at Apostle John says, mother, your son, he'll take care of you, son. This is your new mother. And then the last saying, was the fourth saying, which we'll stop here, and this is what we're going to do Friday night. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's where we'll pick up Friday night. The team come back up. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you gave us four gospels to tell this story. And Lord, as we've been reading through these Gospels the last couple months, um, I, I hope, Lord, that today and in the past, today and the rest of this week, as we read in John, that we read with new eyes to see the tragedy of this story. But by Sunday morning, the incredible joy of this story as the tomb is rolled away and he is risen. So, Father, Father, Thank you for this reminder today. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.
0: I invite you to remain seated as I sing a song of victory over you. We have heard
1: the trumpet sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tide. All around Jesus saves. Jesus saves. and bear the news to every land Climb the steeps and cross the ways onward to Lord's coming, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Sing those words again. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. Hallelujah. Because in your presence, all our fears are washed away washed away come on now Hosanna Hosanna You are the God who saves us You're worthy We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Let's sing it one more time. Hosanna. Hosanna. You are the God who saves us. You're worthy of.
0: So this week, every day of this holy week, I pray that you remember and you say those words in your heart and you say them out out loud, Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saved me, you're worthy of all my praises, Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among me, I welcome you here, Lord Jesus, until we come together and praise him in one voice again. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.